When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, ACC championship is in the books, and there's only one thing that we can say. Hail to Pitt, baby. How did we let this happen? (laughs) Pitt, I believe, if somebody, I I heard this said, I I didn't go check it myself because we are a well-researched and prepared podcast, but uh, I believe... Pitt was 60 to 1 to win the conference in the preseason. So if you are one of the lucky folks that had one of those tickets, A, ballsy move. B, congratulations. Yeah. And if you put, I don't know, even just a little bit of money on it, you are a very, very, very rich individual today. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. That was a, a profitable wager, albeit an unlikely one. Um, I'll tell you what, I, I hit on my $5 bet I put on Cincinnati at plus 2200 to make the playoff. Attaboy. My only regret is I didn't bet more. Yep, that's, yeah. Well, it's what the bear says. The more, uh, the more, the less you bet, the more you lose when you win, right? So, yep. There you go. Uh, Mike, we're going to jump into this game. Before we do, I want to remind the people about section103.com. Uh, Mike, it's the holidays. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, it's it's Christmas time. People are used to me. Yeah, people are shopping for gifts. That's that's what that tree is behind you right now. Is uh, it's 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 a Christmas tree. Uh, people, I was wondering why my wife put that up. Yeah, people people go get gifts for the loved ones in their life, and so uh, if if you have a loved one who is a Georgia Tech fan or who just likes really good uh, products, you know, shirts, t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, uh, all those things. Uh, you should go find them something to put under their tree at section103.com. Uh, Mike, it is by far, it is the best Georgia Tech apparel on the internet. Uh, they have official word marks. They've got things in the official Tech Gold. Uh, they've got the official ATL logo, which you can't get anywhere else. It was designed by the founder. So uh, go check them out there. Um, anything, anything Georgia Tech, you can go find there. I'm currently wearing a Tech shirt, uh, just the pure Tech word mark. It is super comfortable. Uh, I, I even wore my ATL shirt this weekend, tried to send some Section 103 magic over to Alabama, and <laughs> buddy, that worked. Um, <laughs> oh, yes, it did. It did. So, Mike, go go find your all things for the Georgia Tech people in your life over at section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. I, we mentioned on a previous show, too, that they had uh, the Feliz Bobby Dodd ugly sweater sweatshirt which was an incredible design they actually sold out of those but mike they have done an additional limited run so there are a few more of those left if you wanted to go get one of those for yourself Uh, so go again do that at section 103.com use promo code goacc for 10 percent off your first order with that being said let's get into the acc championship game we we've talked about a little bit the number 15 pittsburgh panthers 45 the number 16 wake forest steam and deeks 21 um this game was, was really odd, and I think the, the first thing we have to say was that this was an outrageously disgusting bad beat on the total. Um, 
I am ill over this. I had some bad beats on Saturday, Joey. I'll tell you. Yeah, this was gross. Uh, the, the total was 72 and a half. There were 35 points scored in the first quarter, Mike. And then they didn't get the rest of the way there. Um, a lot of that, I think, ended up coming down to Wake's offense, just almost entirely stalling out slash Pitt's defense, really just taking over the game from there. The Wake drive chart, I think, tells you everything you need to know about how this game went. And, and let me know if you can tell where something changed here. So yeah. Wake's offense on the day goes touchdown, 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 interception, punt, 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 interception, interception, interception for a touchdown, turnover on downs, punt, punt. Well, you know what? After that third touchdown, things seem to have changed. Yeah, something uh, they, they started to slide just a little bit. Uh, there was no more scoring <laughs> yeah. from there. Oh, man. I, Sam Hartman was brutal. He Well, he wasn't, and then he was. Like Yeah. He really was nice great first, first quarter. quarter. Yeah, great first quarter. Uh, too bad the game is four quarters. Because right. <laughs> after the first quarter, man, it went downhill quick. Yes, it did. Yeah, not, not a good showing for uh, Sam Hartman here. Um, this was uh, he's been very up and down I feel like this year where in even games where like he'll hit some big big passes but then you look at his stat line and it's like oh he was under 50% completion and threw two picks it's like they're explosive but not consistent I guess in a way so that really reared its ugly head here Um, as you mentioned I mean Sam Hartman with four picks in this game including three I think on consecutive drives in the second half yeah um and, and one or two of those were really pretty horrible decisions and throws and everything that just, they were never going to work to begin with. Um, right. So kind of disappointed in that. But again, I think something changed a little bit with Pitt's defense, especially their front seven starting in about the second quarter, like made life just absolutely miserable for the Deeks. Uh, the Deeks were going, they, they went three and out a bunch of times in the final three quarters of this game. And I think a lot of it has to do with how Pitt's front was doing. Uh, they they come up with five sacks and nine tackles for a loss in this game. Like Wake had had a huge problem doing almost anything. Yeah, it, the, the whole thing about this for me is that you know Wake Forest has been really good offensively all year, mm-hmm. right? But sometimes it's been in spite of Sam Hartman, mm-hmm. right? And and that's I, I'm not trying to be too unfair to Hartman because I think by and large he's been very good this year. The issue, like you said, is sometimes it's an efficiency thing where, okay, there will be some explosive plays here or there that puts Wake Forest over the top in close games. But then there are also those like boneheaded, head-scratching interceptions that he throws. And we saw a lot more of that on Saturday night than we did like the really good explosive good stuff, right? And I I think Wake Forest as an offense this year, they've been so reliant on Sam Hartman at quarterback because the running game has been so up and down. Right. Usually with the Wake Forest offense, we're used to seeing um, a more balanced attack um, through the air is where they've made their hay all year. And they've essentially abandoned the run game at times. Right. Um, they're more balanced, like a, a UVA, for example. Um, but they're a team that, much like Pitt, struggles to run the ball at times and is really reliant on their quarterback. The, the big difference in this game is you're seeing two quarterbacks here that. Uh, have both shown the ability to be really, really good at times, right? Mm -hmm. The thing about this is that Kenny Pickett in 2021 found the consistency that Sam Hartman is still looking for. Sam Hartman is more of like an early stage Kenny Pickett where 
there, there are flashes for sure. And, and there's a lot of good in his game, but then there are some games where you, you kind of look at the stat line and you're left scratching your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think we just saw the better quarterback win out here on Saturday. Um, Pickett wasn't, he didn't put together a game that was, you know, ridiculous where he threw for 500 yards and four or five touchdowns and complete like 75% of his passes, but he was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 to 33, 253, two scores through the air, kept the offense on schedule, didn't make any mistakes. Um, and he hasn't been making a lot of mistakes this year. And that's been the biggest reason why Pitt is 11 and two and they won the ACC. Kenny Pickett found another gear this year, stopped turning the football over and, and this offense was better off for it. Um, he was able to cover up the issues that Pitt has had in the running game that he hasn't been able to cover up in the past. That's my biggest takeaway from Pitt's season. Defense was good enough. Offense really just hit another gear because Pickett hit his ceiling, which is something we were kind of waiting for. And it took five years to do it. Um, but coming back for his fifth year is, is probably going to end up with him being the first quarterback taken in April's NFL draft. So mm-hmm. it, it ends up working out for him. But yeah, the, the biggest difference was consistency of quarterback in this game because we knew Pitt was going to sl- slow down or shut down the run. And Wake Forest at times just couldn't block Pitt's front, even in pass protection. Um, and, and Hartman throwing four picks. The one pick six there in the fourth quarter was just mind-boggling, mind-bogglingly bad. Mind-boggling? Mind-bottling. Like your mind's in yeah. a bottle. It was. I put me in a bottle. I don't know. <laughs> I put my brain in a blender there. Uh, but anyway, that, that interception was really bad. And, I, you know. I, I, that was kind of like the, the microcosm of the game. It's like, man, that pick six was really horrible. Kenny Pickett hasn't been making those mistakes. Right. <laughs> That's why I think you saw this game get away from Wake Forest. Um, I'm not sure Pitt was 24 points better, Joey, you know, mm-hmm. um, but they were at least a couple touchdowns better. And, and this thing just got away from Wake late because of the turnovers. Yep. Yeah, I would agree with that. And um, uh, the thing that also kind of stuck out to me here too was something that we mentioned on the preview and we actually got an email uh, from Patrick Hayes. who's a Wake Forest fan who was, who kind of went back on this and said, you know, good note on the balance between running and passing. We've been incredibly balanced this year, especially early, but as you showed, the last few games have been rough a, because we played Clemson and NC state, but also B because our uh, first two running backs, Christian Beal Smith and justice Ellison have both been out. Both are trending back for Saturday, and I'm sure they'll do everything they can to play, but we'll have to see if they can be effective. They both did play. They were not effective in this game. Um, they combined right. for 14 carries for 29 yards, did Christian Smith and Justice Ellison. And the thing was that not only did they do that, there were a lot of other rushing attempts too. I mean, and, and this isn't sack-adjusted. There were five sacks in there, but Wake Forest finishes this game with 39 carries for 82 yards. And, and the question that we asked in the preview is, why did you fall into this hole where you felt like you had to keep running the ball against a defensive front that, if nothing else, is going to stop the run? Right. I I don't know why, and especially in a game where you know the negative game script here, you you were down, uh, you were down three, I guess at halftime, but it started to get away in the second half. You kind of maybe abandoned the run after that, but like there was never really a point where the run game was really working consistently for Wake Forest after the kind of the early going. So I don't right. know why they continued going to it. I mean, and this was a game where we knew it was going in order for Wake Forest to compete for four quarters against Pittsburgh defense. That is better than Wake Forest is. We knew that Wake Forest was going to have to establish some sort of run, but rely heavily on Sam Hartman. 
And it felt like they never gave up on establishing the run, which in some ways it's like, yeah, more power to you. But there comes a point in time where you're trailing there in the third quarter and and you're down 31-21 and you need to score some touchdowns, right? Yeah. And they didn't do it. And it's because they just insisted on continuing to run the ball. Now, look, Sam Hartman threw the ball 46 times. He also had four picks. So, you know, in some respects, I understand why they were trying to establish a run as well. But when you're heavily reliant on your quarterback, he's got to take care of the football. And when Sam Hartman's been at his best this year, it hasn't been when he's attempted 40 passes or more. Right. right. I mean, this is this is a situation where Hartman needed to throw it a bunch for, for Wake to be successful. But he also had to be efficient with those attempts and 21 of 46 with two touchdowns and four four picks. Averaging 4.6 yards per completion is not is not what you're going for, right? right? That's not that that was not the plan that was going to have Wake Forest be successful in this football game, right? Exactly. So I I don't know how much more you have on this game, Mike. I don't have a, a ton more. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. It, it's it is interesting to me looking at some of the yardage and yards per play numbers. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that Pitt was like 24 points dominant, but you also have to remember. Right. I mean, they were playing with some short fields thanks to a four turnovers from Wake Forest and B uh, you know, getting some shorter fields just because of field position, because Wake couldn't get the ball moving a lot of times. So right. there were less quote unquote available yards for them to have as well. So, um, you know, if, if they played this game 10 times, do they win by 24 points every time? No, but is Pitt the better team? Would they win seven out of 10? I think so. I think so. Based on what yeah. we saw. The better team won, I thought. Uh, the better team definitely won, and I, I've been, I've been a pretty big proponent of both Pittsburgh and Wake this year uh, as he progressed. But once it came down to this game, I mean, you and I both thought that that Pittsburgh would win this game, and it really did come down to okay, Pitt's got a better defense, so if we're going to get in a shootout, uh, we're probably going to just rely on the team that will get you know one more stop. And turns out Pitt got multiple stops, <laughs> like. Yeah like eight or nine stops, which I didn't necessarily see coming. Several um, stops. Sam yes. Hartman. Yeah, seven stops and Hartman threw four picks. So four out of your seven turnovers. So look, if you're turning a team over four times, right, that's that's going to be a pretty good recipe in a common championship game. Yeah, being and, and just in general being plus four in turnovers, like goodness. Right, right. And again, testament to Kenny uh, Pickett, you know, taking care of the football, not not – you know, giving it back to the other team. That's, that's huge and good for Pittsburgh to establish another running game here. Yep. Uh, but the, the one thing I do want to say, and I know there's a lot of coaching news and stuff we're going to get into here on this podcast. So the, the one thing I want to say before we finish up here is the total in this game was 71 and a half. And I had the over and I talked about on this podcast uh, as something I was going to bet. And I did bet it at 71 and a half. We were at 35, which is approximately halfway there, like 49% of the way there mm-hmm. after the first quarter. Um, so that that was really good. It was at 45 at halftime. So I'm feeling very good about this. And then basically neither team wanted to score in the third quarter. Yeah. Um, that was that was a problem. I mean, Pitt got on the scoreboard. They scored seven points in the third quarter. But a lot of punts, a lot of bad offense, turnovers, et cetera. And this game somehow did not go over. We got to 66, five short of the total after being halfway there at the end of the first quarter. Mm -hmm. So that was awful. And that just kind of recaps a really bad weekend of betting for me on Saturday. Uh, Can I tell you real quick, briefly about some of my bad beats? 
Yeah, absolutely. Keep keep going. Okay. So Oklahoma State was a six-point favorite in the Big 12 championship game against Baylor. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't too particularly enthralled with taking them at that spread number. So I just took Oklahoma State money line. Ooh. And I bet that with I bet that I parlayed that by the way with Utah State, who beat the brakes off San Diego State. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, okay, this will be good. Oklahoma State, uh Spencer Sanders like had a stroke. I mean, he he threw he threw what four interceptions as well. I think he was rough. The final yeah. tally was at uh, least. But they, yeah, Baylor got multiple was, like short field touchdowns and or defensive touchdowns yeah. in that game. Like, yeah, oof. yeah. Then Oklahoma State started taking care of the ball a little bit better and crawled back into it. Um, they turned over Baylor as well. Baylor, uh, mind-numbingly stupid, just like went for it at their own like 35-yard line on fourth and short and got stopped when they were up by 10. That was a really dumb move. So they just decided they were going to keep Oklahoma State in the game. Oklahoma State gets stunted at the goal line there at the end. Mm-hmm. So I lose that bet. I lose this over bet. I lose the under. And I had under 43 and a half in Michigan and Iowa. And Michigan scores a couple of garbage time touchdowns to cover there. Oh, Iowa like, scored three points. <laughs> they scored three points. And somehow that game went over. Oh, uh, just brutal, brutal. So three really bad beats this weekend. And then I bet on Georgia, which you get what you deserve when you bet against Saban. And yep. I will take that loss. Yeah. I will take that loss. Also, this one doesn't really count as a bad beat, but Houston had a chance to cover too. I had Houston plus half against Cincinnati. They had a chance for a backdoor cover there late. Didn't end up happening, but yeah. the one really bad loss this weekend that stung was uh, that I just got outright wrong with Georgia. So. Yep. Well, and that was that was the reason that I didn't need to end up wagering on the uh, on the total in this Wake Forest Pittsburgh game was I had just absolutely <laughs> taken a bath over the fact that you know like I had a, a, a comfortable amount on Georgia. To win the game, I was going to kind of turn that into like a money line parlay, you know, the mechanical parlay we've talked about for them to win the national title. Right. And I also had a little bit on them on the spread that I got like a live number early on, thinking I was really sharp getting it at four and a half or whatever it was. And then, right. nope. Nope. Right. So. Yeah. That couple of bets there cleaned me out on Saturday, but really glad Cincinnati made the playoff on Sunday. Really glad that Georgia made the playoff on Sunday because I had two futures on them both making the playoff. And yep. obviously the, the Georgia one was like plus 134 or something like that. So they were pretty heavy favorite to make the playoff, but Cincinnati at plus 2200, I, I will take that. So I'm, I'm back in the green with my bets I placed in August. So Attaboy. happy about that. Attaboy. But Proud of you. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, horrible beat in this game. Yeah. Long story short, pretty terrible. killed me. Pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, just to wrap up here, this was Pitt's first ACC championship since joining the conference. Uh, it was their third ever conference championship. They won the Big East in 2004 and 2010. Um, and for those who don't know, like I, I, I kind of wasn't aware until I was doing some research for this. I told you I prepared. Um, Pitt was independent until about 1990, so they weren't even in a conference up until you know the more recent pieces of uh, of college football history. We'll say so. Congratulations to them. Congratulations to the Pittsburgh fans. And it's also worth noting, Mike, that this is the first non-Clemson ACC champion we've had in the basketball conference era. So uh, very exciting for us to have something new to celebrate here. Yeah. Uh, Clemson five, Pittsburgh one, rest of conference zero. Everyone since else we started this podcast. Yeah. Uh, and Pittsburgh now has won three conference championships and still has never gone undefeated in the non-conference. And that was the thought that I had. And I don't mean to like, you know, really kind of stick the needle in on anybody, but like 
How would we be talking about Pittsburgh right now if they hadn't lost to Western Michigan? Yeah. Would they have maybe been in the playoff? Maybe? One of the ATC's worst losses this year, mm-hmm. ironically. Just came completely out of nowhere. So, good times. Mike, you want to give us some awards real quick? Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Don't worry, guys. This is not the end of the podcast. Right, no. We're just going to, you know... We'll- Cue up the music a little bit. We're going to give out some awards, and then we're going to have a bunch of news. So let's do that real quick. Mike, the Go ACC moment of the week. I believe this was Pittsburgh's first touchdown of the game. It was one of their first two. Uh, Kenny Pickett drops back to pass. Not really finding anyone down the field, but he sees a bunch of open space, and he just takes off, Mike. Takes off. He's hoofing it. He's got about 30 yards. He's got about 30 yards to go, and there's some defenders. And so, Mike, that was the if you're a quarterback running down the field and you see some defenders, what do you do? You slide, Joey. You get down. You got to protect yourself, right? Yeah. That's kind of what he started to do. Take slide. Defenders pulled up so they didn't get hit with targeting. And as soon as they ducked, he just hit the shimmy and continued the Bolts final oh, 30 or so, so yards for his 58-yard touchdown run to put Pitt up 7 nothing. Yeah. It was actually it was really impressive to look at because if, if you go back and watch the replay, like he was basically leaning back, almost looking like he was like on water skis or something. Yeah. And yeah. So to, to, to pull himself back up upright and to keep going was was pretty impressive. Um, we can talk about the uh, the validity of being able or allowed to do that without uh you know without being called down or something you know, but it was it looked cool. It got a lot of attention. Uh, cool move. Kenny Pickett goes on and scores a touchdown on that run. So. Uh, go ACC to that. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that was that was cool. They got to fix that rule now. The fake slide should be some sort of penalty on Pickett. I mean, you can't take advantage of that, right? Like, yeah, the defenders do it exactly how they're coached. You know, they do exactly what they're supposed to do. They pull up so they don't hit the sliding quarterback, and then they're now caught out of position with a really athletic quarterback, by the way, and kind of deking out of it and taking off down the field. I mean, that's. Uh, there's there's going to be some sort of rule created based off of that play. Yeah, I, I would expect, but we'll see. Yeah, uh, Mike, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial, you tried award. I think this has to go to Wake Forest offensive line. Uh, they had God. a rough night. The final three quarters of this game gave up again five sacks, nine tackles for loss. Had a brutal time trying to run block that pit front. Just just not a great night. They uh, they tried. Yeah, it was Wake's offensive line's fault as much as it was. Uh, Sam Hartman's with throwing four pick. Yeah. So, uh, good on you, Wake. You tried. You tried. Hey, you got here. You got here. That was a that was a good good uh, good development, as it were. This is true. <laughs> the Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week, Mike, goes to Christian Beal Smith. We mentioned it earlier. Ten carries for a grand total of twenty four yards. Um, he came back, you know, from being banged up, a little injured, and uh, you know, struggled, struggled. Not great, Bob. Not great. So, to you, Christian Smith. Kobe. Kobe. All right. Actual awards. I think it's pretty obvious here. Player of the week, Kenny Pickett. Team of the week, Pittsburgh. Yeah. Unless I you mean, want to make the team of the week, Miami. <laughs> we'll get into that in a second. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Addison, eight for one twenty-six. Honorable mention. Yeah, he was he was pretty nasty too. Um, Pitt's receiving core. Sneaky, really good. Um, we we yeah. probably haven't talked about we've we've mentioned it on here, but we probably haven't talked about it enough. Um, 
you know, not only Addison, but Lucas Kroll has been awesome. Shockey Jacques Louis is always good. Jared Wayne has been very good this year. So it's it's not just Kenny Pickett. He's got some guys to throw to down there. Right. No, for sure. So anyways, Pitt 45, Wake Forest 21. The Panthers are your new ACC champions. Congratulations to Pitt. Hail to Pitt. Mike, let's get into some news. And, buddy, has there been a lot of it. Um, for yeah. starters, so we are recording this uh, on Monday morning, actually, December the 6th. Uh, we, we were trying to record last night. There were some schedule difficulties that came up. And there was also the point made that if we wait for a few hours, maybe Miami's going to do something about uh, Manny Diaz. Turns out, as of this morning, they are doing something about Manny Diaz. Uh, they have uh, fired him after pretty overtly pursuing Mario Cristobal for several days now while Manny was still in in position as head coach. And the idea was basically that they were only going to fire Diaz if they could get Cristobal, which really puts Manny in a pretty, uh, pretty bad spot, to say the least, in terms of trying to recruit and, you know, just... Just knowing, like, if you're being recruited over or, you know, you're being hired over in that role, like, that sucks. Um, related here, Mike, is that Clemson athletic director Dan Radakovich is also almost certainly heading to Miami. Uh, so it's going to be Radakovich and Cristobal now coming in to uh, lead the football program at Miami. There's an insane amount of money being spent here by Miami. Um, the whole thing really feels pretty gross. But at the end of the day, I I kind of think this actually might end up working at Miami. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And, like, here's the thing, right? So this is from Manny Navarro of The Athletic, and I'm comfortable reading something that was behind a paywall because, A, I don't really care, but B, Stuart Mandel posted it. So mm. I don't suppose his screenshot of it. So basically the overall premise of this is that Miami – is paying around $8 million to buy out Manny Diaz. Um, they also have to pay $9 million to buy him out of Oregon, and they're probably going to pay him around $8 million to be the head coach, right? $8 million so, a year. $8 million a year to be the head coach. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you do the math. This year, it's north of $25 million, and then going forward, you have to pay Chris Paul. So that's that's a lot of fun. Miami has never done that before, Joey. Not even Not like close. This. Not even close. So why is this happening? This is from The Athletic. Until recently, Miami's administration had been unwilling to allocate funds to the athletic department, instead leaving it to cover all expenses on its own. But the success of Miami's U-Health system over the past year, which made more than $400 million in profits and promises from big-time boosters and donors to back upgrades at Miami, changed the school's stance. So because of COVID, let's read between the lines here, mm -hmm. because Miami's health department did really well with COVID funds, um, they are now able to buy out Manny Diaz, buy out Cristobal from Oregon, and then hire him at an absurd rate of like eight or nine million a year to be their head coach. That mm -hmm. is why Miami is able to make this kind of athletic department promise, you know, from a monetary perspective that they haven't been able to do really ever yeah so this is all kind of on the back of a pandemic which I, i'm not going to sit here and, and tell you how to make your money or not make your money but when you kind of take a step back it is pretty wild to think that because there was this worldwide pandemic it's now flushed miami's health department with funds and has you know allocated more funds toward the athletic department that are it's, being used for college football purposes 
Yes. Which, I mean, whatever. I mean, I there are other there are other ways to make money. You, you deal with oil, right? And I, I know yeah. this is a little bit weird because it's a pandemic, but I mean, people make money in, in different ways. I mean, we, we could talk about how legitimate or, you know, how sensical it is that a hospital system is profiting off of a, a pandemic or pandemic care or all that. But that's a different episode of a different podcast for a different day, I figure. Um, it, it is, I mean, is a giant pile of money that they are throwing around in a way that we never have seen them do before. And M- Miami, keep in mind, is a private school. So, right. um, you know, we, we don't know the exact uh, numbers there in terms of what they have paid people in the past, whatever. What we can say is that, like, let's all just be honest with each other. Like, we've been advocating for them to get rid of Manny Diaz. So I, I don't think that the the move to fire Manny Diaz and replace him, especially with a coach on a uh, on the degree of a Mario Cristobal, just objectively, if you just tell me that, I think that's a great move. And if you're bringing in Dan Radakovich as the athletic director, who Honestly, Mike, like you realize that Clemson started getting really, really good right around the time that Radakovich showed up. I think he uh, helped to engineer a lot of what Dabo has built at Clemson. So if you're bringing in those two guys to lead your program, objectively, that's a great move, I think. The question is, you know, does it work in the context of Miami and all their booster system and the former players and, you know, Lord knows what else they've got going on down there. But, um, I mean, just from a football sense, this is a really good move. I tend to think Mario is going to recruit really well down there, like he has at Oregon, yeah. relative to what Oregon had done for a number of years prior. I think it'll work, but it's Miami, yeah. so who the hell knows? I, I mean, if this doesn't, if this doesn't work, I don't know what will. Nothing will. I mean, truthfully, like, you know, we we always talk about Miami in the context of the national championships they won. You know, mm-hmm. Coach Davis, Larry Coker. Um, and it's been a long time since they've been at that level. You know, they had that one year in 2017 where they won 10 games on the back of essentially turnover luck with a really bad quarterback in Malik Rozier. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of that, like, they've really struggled to find any sort of success, let alone, like, consistent 10-11 win success to put them in national championship conversation. If Cristobal can't do it at his alma mater, I don't know who will. Um, Cristobal is one of the five or six best coaches in the sport right now, at the very least top 10, right? I'm not here to argue the merits of where he should be ranked, but he's a a good coach, right? A really good coach. He's proven that, and Oregon's won the Pac-12, you know, and and they were an up-and-coming program that that he took over and kind of took to another level uh, when Chip Kelly moved on. So there's no arguing that he can coach. If he can't get it done at Miami – Nobody can. Like, yep. I don't know who you bring in to salvage it if this doesn't work. So they better be patient with them because yep. I don't think Miami's ever getting back to what they were. They can't do it with Cristobal. But right. I'm with you on the surface. Great hire. How they got there and kind of how they conducted the search saying that, oh, well, you know, if Cristobal turns us down, we're going to keep Manny Diaz. I mean, that's kind of a rough look. Pretty gross. Like, pretty just ethically speaking very miami yeah that's gonna piss a lot of miami listeners off but i mean this is just kind of oh, what I don't, you guys do if you're a miami fan and you disagree with what we're saying let us know i don't think they do mike <laughs> i don't think they do i think they know and they just don't care like yeah somebody was saying like this is just kind of how miami conducts business it's not a nice guy kind of thing like 
do what you got to do to get it done and, you know, let the results be what they are. Like, And I love it, too, because people are like, oh, yeah, well, don't feel bad for Manny Diaz because he left Temple at the altar. It's like, no, yeah, no, but no, that no, was no. Miami's fault, too. Yeah. And that was after two weeks. Yeah. That was I, that was different. Very different. It's just. Yeah. Whatever. I wanted, selfishly, I wanted Manny, I wanted Cristobal to back out, and then I wanted Manny Diaz to resign, which he would never do because he had a massive buyout. That would, that mm-hmm. by far would have been the funniest outcome, right? Like, Cristobal stays in Oregon. Manny Diaz says, you know what? I'm good here. Like, thanks, thanks for everything and how you treated me over the past week, but I'm going to resign. I have enough money, you know? Yeah. And then just leave Miami holding the bag with having no idea who the hell to hire. That would have been the funniest outcome. Not very realistic because me and Diaz would be brain dead to resign and blow that buyout. But yep. it would have been funny. It would have been real funny. And that's what I was secretly hoping for. Yep. So we'll see how this goes. I mean, I, I think as we are sitting here recording this, I don't think this is like a final ink dry on the page kind of thing. But I think it's pretty much a done deal for both Cristobal and yeah. Radkovich. Um, yeah. I mean, the reports out are saying that Cristobal, like with reputable college football people, Feldman and others, Adam Rittenberg, ESPN, like reputable people are saying that he informed the team in a team meeting a little while ago. We're sitting yeah. here recording around lunchtime on Monday. Um, so by the time this is released, it'll probably be official. Yep. So we'll see. Um, that Mike, that puts four coastal teams with a new head coach next year. <laughs> I saw a, uh, I saw a tweet. I, I can't remember who said it. If, if somebody, uh, somebody I know from like the tech Twitter sphere, uh, basically said that man, four new ACC coaches. There's going to have to be a freshman orientation <laughs> at uh, ACC Media Day. I thought that was hysterical. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, by the way, Mike, alluding to that, um, not the freshman orientation part, but. Um, since we last recorded, Bronco Mendenhall resigned. I don't think you've gotten a chance to give any of your thoughts on that. Um, and and we don't have a word on uh, from Virginia yet on who's going to replace him. Uh, I talked to Caroline Darney Friday afternoon and posted an emergency podcast about that. But was just curious to get a couple of your thoughts on you know his place at Virginia and who who might replace him or you know what what was your whole take on that whole thing. Yeah, so I haven't listened to the podcast yet with Caroline. I was at a wedding this weekend, which is why I missed that Friday recording and haven't had a chance to catch up on that yet, but that's on my list today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure she was great. She's was. usually very very good on social media and well-informed with UVA stuff. So she not, was awesome. not surprising. Yeah, not surprising if she was good. Uh, I was surprised about the Mendenhall resignation. That kind of came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty surprised about that. Uh, as far as like his place, as far as like, Virginia coaching lore, I mean, you look at his record and it's pretty average at UVA. Uh, but what I will say is that, you know, he takes UVA to an ACC championship game. Uh, you know, they, they get just absolutely destroyed by Clemson, but he takes them to an ACC championship game, you know, something that seemed unfathomable to a degree when he took over considering what kind of shape the program was in with Michael London. Now London recruited fine. Like that wasn't the problem. UVA was recruiting pretty well under London. He just wasn't getting anything out of that talent with Bronco. It was almost like a swing too far in the other direction where like the recruiting was never really great. It was fine. It was never really great. Like London was a better recruiter than Mendenhall. But the team looked better coached on the field, which is something that you and I were discussing when the hire was made 
with Bronco. It was like, man, this is a really weird regional recruiting fit, but he can coach. So if you're trying to, you know, swing the pendulum back in the direction of player development, Bronco's probably a pretty good coach to get something out of the talent that's there. And I think by and large, he did that. Uh, but I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans, I, I don't fall into this camp, but I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans seem to think that the only reason UVA had any success was because Bronco hit on two quarterbacks, which, sure, that that might have some merit, but, I mean, think about all of the really good college football teams out there, or mm-hmm. even just, like, the decent college football teams. A big reason why North Carolina is even in a bowl game this year is because of Sam Howell, right? A big reason why Wake went from seven wins to 10 wins. Yeah, sure. Week ACC, but also because Sam Hartman was pretty decent for most of the year, right? Yep. And and the reason why Kenny Pickett in, in Pittsburgh won 11 games this year is because of Kenny Pickett. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, good quarterback play drives success in college football. There's no question about that. Uh, but to say that Bronco Mendenhall hasn't left UVA in a better place than he found, it, I think is probably pretty disingenuous. You know, I think yeah. he, he certainly has. And as far as where UVA goes from here, you know, I saw that Anthony Poindexter is a safeties coach at Penn State. He's, you know, one of the leading candidates. I think that would be a really good fit. I think that would make a lot of sense. I think that, you know, UVA, you know, a a big reason that was rumored, and I'm interested to hear what Caroline thought of this, so my my bad for not listening to the podcast yet, but I I heard that, uh, you know, Bronco was being pushed to maybe change the members of the defensive staff, and that might be why they – you know, kind of came to this agreement where Bronco was just going to resign. Like if you hire a guy like Anthony Poindexter, defense is going to be a priority at UVA. Right. My question moving forward is what kind of program does UVA want to be? Right. Um, That's what I'm interested in seeing. Like, do they want to be more than just like a seven, eight win team in the coastal? Like, do they want to be more than that? Do they want to consistently compete for, for coastal titles and, and continuously get to ACC championships? That's, that's my question because Coming out of the Tech game, you know, when Tech beat UVA, a question I had for you is, like, these two teams are 6-6 six and six and 4-4 four and four in conference play. Mm-hmm. And one team, it's like, all right, well, Virginia Tech had a brutal year, right? And the other, we're looking at in a totally different, not totally different lens, but a different lens, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, people think, think and felt differently about Bronco Mendenhall than they did about Justin Fuente. And expectations are higher at Virginia Tech than UVA historically for football. So my question is, is UVA trying to become that program now where – expectations aren't only high for the basketball program or the baseball program, mm-hmm. um, but they're high for the football program now, right? That's, that's my question. And what does UVA have to do between, you know, now and in the next five years to get there, if that's what they want to be. Yeah. Well, and, and from what Caroline was saying on Friday, I mean, it Bronco more or less, you know, had Virginia running near its ceiling, you know, of, of what is a reasonable expectation, you know, I think Caroline, so. Caroline was saying, you know, ex- reasonable expectation is seven to nine wins, win the division every few years, you know, f- every four or five years, probably like, and that's, you know, if, if Mendenhall had beaten Virginia Tech this year, they would have had a third straight seven plus win season, one of which where they won the division, like, that's about as much as you can reasonably ask for the from the Virginia football program. And yep. so, you know, that's what, what Bronco was able to get out of it. The question now becomes, can you hire someone to replace him who can keep it at that level? Um, and it's a good question. I don't know. We, we haven't heard a whole lot of news yet that I've seen um, suggesting who they might be talking to or what they might be doing. 
and it's a it's an interesting situation too, being that they have uh, an AD who is kind of in her first time ever as the full on AD making a football hire. Um, she was at Georgia for a long time and was including there, you know, when they've hired Kirby Smart to replace uh, Mark Richt, but she she hasn't done this before. So we don't know exactly what, what her tendencies will be. She was just like an associate AD last time. So uh, we'll see. I mean, it, it, she's had a lot of success and done some good things since she's been at Virginia, but this is, this is a little different. So time will tell. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, my, my big takeaway is what kind of program does UVA want to be? And can they do better than Bronco? Maybe, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's interesting. It's interesting talking about it from that standpoint, too, that our response is, yeah, maybe, but not sure. And you and I were so just not on board with the Mendenhall hire. I mean, you yep. and I both were like, man, I don't see any way that this works. And yep. I'm, I'm surprised that he resigned uh, and, and he wasn't there longer. <laughs> but Prove and, me wrong. He proved both of us wrong. I mean, we were both just firmly in the camp of this was not going to work, and this went far better than I anticipated, albeit a little bit shorter than I, I guess, thought when he had that early success. So very, very weird. I I would have thought that if he had left after, what was this, year six, five or six? This was six, yeah. After year six, I, I would have thought that, if he was let go, it's it's because he was fired because it just wasn't working. But that wasn't really the case here. So, yep, very odd, very odd. We will keep you updated as we learn more. Uh, I'm just as curious as anybody to see what they what they're going to do here. Is it an internal thing? Is it bring back an alumni thing? Is it something else entirely? We will we'll have to see. Uh, a little bit more coaching news, Mike. Uh, Georgia Tech fired offensive coordinator Dave Patnode. That was a little over a week ago now. They announced on Sunday the official hiring of former Notre Dame offensive coordinator Chip Long going to be leading the program here uh, now, or at least leading the offense. I, I'm i curious to get your take. I mean, you're a Notre Dame fan, and you, know, you watched Chip Long, who was the offensive coordinator there for about three years in South Bend. For me... I, the word that I used on Twitter, I was very whelmed by this hire, Mike. Um, you know, not underwhelmed, but certainly not overwhelmed. Um, this feels like it's probably an upgrade over Pat Node, but I don't know that it's an upgrade so much that it's going to be enough to save Jeff Collins' job and, you know, get propel the program to start winning and scoring on a level that they need to uh, for, for this to be a, a viable coaching tenure moving forward. Yeah, I mean, Long was a decent offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, decent offensive coordinator at Tulane, obviously. Um, I don't think anybody is, is going to argue that Long is not an upgrade from Pat Note. I think he is. My my whole thing here, though, is like the reason why Chip Long isn't still the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame is because Brian Kelly thought the offense could reach another level than Chip Long. And... The one thing I will say is that when right before Brian Kelly let Chip Long go the year before, Alabama was interested in bringing him on staff there. They -hmm. ultimately didn't. Um, They went the Steve Sarkeesian route. This is back when they were trying to replace Lane Kiffin, I believe, as offensive coordinator, Um, you know, when he left for another head coaching job uh, at FAU. And they ended up going with Steve Sarkeesian, which obviously worked out for the best. They won national title. Sarkeesian is the offensive coordinator. That ended up being fine. Chip Long ends up at Tulane. Okay, great. 
Notre Dame let Long go because they thought he could reach, they thought the offense could reach another level. But Bama was interested in Chip Long at, at one point in time to have him mm-hmm. be on the offensive staff. So, like, yeah, this is an upgrade from Pat Node. Is he going to save Jeff Collins' job, though? I'm skeptical. Yeah. Has offense really been the problem? I mean, it's been a problem. But if you're like making a punch list of issues with Georgia Tech, I think you and I would both agree defense was at the forefront, not offense. Yeah. And I get he has to have Jeff Collins. I, I get it from his standpoint, right? You've got to have, you know, the best and the brightest, so to speak, of your pick of the litter offensively because you are a defensively minded head coach. The problem I have, though, is like that defensively minded head coach hasn't fielded a good defense yet. Like, let's nope. focus on that first. And I know they took some steps, they fired some assistants, but Andrew Thacker is still the DC. So, sort of, maybe. I, they fired the wrong. They fired the wrong coordinator. Yeah, Joey. Like they fired the wrong coordinator, and I don't. I think Chip Long's an upgrade. So I, I think probably a net positive for Georgia Tech. But is it going to all of a sudden propel Georgia Tech from like four wins to six or three wins to six or whatever? No, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, and the and the defense for Georgia Tech is still like a very in flux thing like if and, and you're correct that if I had to point out the one thing that was the most explicitly broken thing about Georgia Tech in 2021 especially in those final six seven games of the year it was the secondary like the secondary didn't communicate they were they were a mess um they, they were giving up big plays in the, in the secondary left and right um and so that was the that was the thing that needs the most fixing you're correct that they have not fired Andrew Thacker but there's very conflicting reports of what is going to be the structure or what's happening like Thacker might be kind of demoted to just linebackers coach and then have Collins be the defensive coordinator for himself. I don't know. I don't know if that'll work. I don't know. Um, so it, it, we'll have to see, you know, how, how that ends up relating to uh, performance improvements, hopefully on the defensive side of the ball, but for the offense, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Like maybe just having a, a, a better mastermind there improves things. Um, I don't know that Chip Long really has a lot of history as a quarterbacks coach, which is interesting because that was kind of one of the sticking points on offense was the development or lack thereof of Jeff Sims. Um, you know, Long played wide receiver and tight end at North Alabama. He's been the tight ends coach for Illinois and for Arizona State and for Memphis and for Notre Dame. Like, I've, you know, very little track record of being a quarterback's coach. So if it's not him, then who? I don't know. Um, current quarter, current, current tight ends coach is Chris Wiesahan. I guess, I don't know, maybe he could do that. But I'm just saying, like, I don't, I don't know what, uh, what the plan is going to be there. But it's going to be quarterback development. It's going to be getting some more creativity and consistency in the play calling and the schemes, I think, that'll ultimately be uh, the thing that determine if this works on offense or not. So, like I said, I'm, I'm whelmed. Feels like an upgrade, but maybe not substantially. But we'll have to see. Time will tell. That'll be fine. It's interesting too that you mentioned that you know it was a kind of performance thing with Notre Dame because I'm also hearing some things that they're trying to pass it off as it was a personality clash with uh, with our boy Brian Kelly. But at the same time, I couldn't help but notice that as soon as Chip Long was gone and Tommy Reese took over the play calling, things seemed to get a lot better on offense for the for the Irish. So who's to say? Yeah. I, yeah, and I also find it interesting that Brian Kelly went to LSU. He's paid more money than God, and he's trying to pay his assistants more money than God, and they didn't want to go with him. So, right. I mean, could be a little bit of truth in everything we just mentioned there, huh? <laughs> it's 
always possible. Always possible. Yeah. A uh, couple more things here, Mike. Uh, you brought this up, and this is something that has flown like totally under the radar. Florida yeah. State is closing in on potentially hiring Louisville's athletic director and Vince Tyra. Um, I I hadn't heard a ton about this. I think I've seen like one or two little rumors here or there. I'm partially just kind of confused as to like why do they really particularly want this? I I don't get the impression, and I don't you know not just the impression, but just like. I don't know what Vince Tyra is like really hanging his hat on that he's accomplished as uh, Louisville's athletic director, aside from just, you know, <laughs> picking up the pieces that were left uh, by the previous regime. And I forget the previous uh, athletic director's name, but, well, yeah, you know, uh, sorry, Mark uh, Jurich, Mike, Mark Jurich was the uh, previous AD who had been there for a long time. He replaced him in August of 2018. Um, oh, sorry. No, it was, I think it was before that. But he, he hired Chris Mack to be the head coach of the men's basketball team. He's hired Scott Satterfield to be the head coach of the football team. I don't think either of those has really truly uh, been a, a rousing success of a hire. So I don't... At least totally, not so far. Yeah, not so far. I don't know. Tom Jurich. Sorry, Tom Jurich. Uh, March of 2018 is when he took over. So I don't know. Maybe it works, but interesting at least that uh, he could be moving to a different ACC program. Yeah, David Coburn announced that he was going to retire at the end of the year. So that's why Florida State is looking for a new AD. I agree with you. I mean, I, I don't think that Tyra has done like a bang-up job at Louisville. So I'm a little bit confused as to why this is Florida State's top choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And it's not an all modern thing. I mean, Tyra, I believe, was a pitcher on the Kentucky baseball team in college. Seems like a really weird fit. Kind of, yeah. I, I don't understand the attraction. Money, but sure. yeah. I, I don't know. Who's to say? We'll have to monitor that one. I'm not sure. This, this is an opening we might be revisiting here in a few years. Be curious. Be curious to see what happens there. Last thing, Mike, we, we got announcements officially from both Phil Dracovic and Malik Cunningham that these quarterbacks will be returning to Boston College and Louisville, respectively. Um, Interesting to me, I, I realize Dracovic's been hurt, and maybe maybe that injury kind of lingers to the point that it would have caused him problems at the NFL Combine or something like that. But I thought he was a guy that, especially if he had stayed healthy this year, I mean, there's almost no chance he was going to come back. Yeah, yeah. The only reason he's back or coming back is because he got hurt. Yeah. Uh, because once he came back, he was not very good. I mean, Boston College, uh, the passing offense was non-existent. I mean, he came back just to kind of be a – figure in the running game you know the passing game was not existent he's just not healthy so I, I think he wants and, and I think your your theory about him you know leading up to the NFL draft you know not being too healthy is is probably one that has some credence to it yeah so we'll see and then Cunningham in particular too I, I was kind of interested there that I kind of feel like he's kind of maxed out at Louisville like if this is like, and he's been really good, especially, you know, the, the final probably three quarters of this year, he was really good. I just, I don't know how much better he's going to get next year. Like I, I kind of thought if he's not going to the draft, I kind of thought he would be a candidate to transfer somewhere at the very least. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think with Phil Dracovic, it made a lot of sense because we saw what he was last year when he was healthy. And I think he just wants to prove that he could be healthy again for a year and improve his draft stock. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I get it in a lot of respects because you're going to have some teams that are, taking a chance on you, you know, 
because they're not sure how healthy you are. And then you have other teams who are going to be, yeah, we're, we're ready. We're ready for you, but you're not going to have the influx of teams where Drew comes back and he sets the world on fire. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Then, then he'll be one of the top quarterbacks taken next year. Cunningham's interesting one though, because like you said, I'm not sure how much his stock is going to improve. I mean, I guess the only area that I, I could see where he could still show some improvement and he has this year um, is cutting down on the interceptions. He's been much better at that this year for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, had some issues, had ton of, a, a ton of issues with that, actually, in uh, 2020. Yeah. But was much better with that this year. And, yeah, I, I do wonder if he wants to kind of put a couple years of tape together where he's like, hey, you know, I just, yeah, improved my craft and taking better care of the football in the year in the offense. But at the same time, like, I look at Louisville and, like how much is that team going to actually improve next year? That's that's the question I have. And with Cunningham at the helm, I mean, right? I, I, it's the same questions we're asking about Pittsburgh. Like a big reason why you and I disagreed on Pittsburgh in the preseason. Something you ended up being right about. But I don't think anybody saw this Kenny Pickett year coming. No. <laughs> yeah. No. The the thing that you and I disagreed on is I was like, yeah, like it's year five of Kenny Pickett. He's been the same quarterback all along, right? So what's you know, is he really going to be that much better? And then, of course, he, you know, all ACC first team, mm-hmm. you know, excellent all year, jumped jumped higher than I ever thought he would. Right. right? So maybe Cunningham and Dracovic see that and say, you know what, I take another year, I can be the Kenny Pickett going into next year's draft. Sure. Maybe that's how they look at it. Well, and it sets up for the Atlantic Division to be really interesting. And by the way, Mike, there's something that I just completely breezed past in our rundown here. One more thing that impacts the Atlantic Division that we need to hit on here real quick. Uh, sounds like Brent Venables is heading to Oklahoma to be their head coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say maybe a Jeff Halfley contract extension. How did we as well? miss this? Um, yeah, I got I got out of order here a little bit. Yeah, uh, Brent Venables has been the defensive coordinator at Clemson for a long time and was basically the, the inflection point that resulted in Clemson becoming what they are, I think, was when right. he was hired uh, yep. following the 2012 Orange Bowl where I think West Virginia just scored again. Um. Yes. Brent Venables, yeah, heading to Oklahoma's head coach. I was pretty shocked to see that just purely in the, you know, the vein of like, I just never thought that Brent Venables was going to be a head coach. I didn't think he wanted to be a head coach. I thought he was really happy just being the defensive coordinator at Clemson. Uh, it turns out he does aspire to a little bit more. Um, so between that and the Dan Radakovich departure now from Clemson to Miami, and the uh, there's some rumors, some smoke that there seems to be every year for you know several years now that Tony Elliott might be leaving the offensive coordinator from Clemson, uh, potentially for a Duke or a Virginia. I don't know that he necessarily will, but the point is, you know, for a staff under Dabo that had a just a wild amount of consistency for like half a decade and was really one of the key things that they were able to build that program on. This is going to be a really important kind of inflection point for him as well. Of can they keep this going is going to come down to who's the coordinator that they're going to hire. And, and if and if it doesn't work out, I think it opens things up in the Atlantic to a Boston College, to a Louisville, to an NC State, you know, maybe even a Wake Forest, Mike. Maybe they could make the ACC championship one day. I, it does, but it doesn't. Like, I don't know. I look at the only the only team I would say in the Atlantic that I think has any chance to get their foot in the door and be that team that consistently challenges Clemson, Florida State, because they're the only team that's recruiting anywhere near 
how Clemson is, right? But does like Clemson Boston keep recruiting College, this way if you know if some of the support structure around the program is changing or going away? Yeah, because look, I, I mean, I don't think I don't think any of us can reasonably assume that the next next defensive coordinator of Clemson is going to be the same as Brett Venables from a production standpoint, right? Right. Like Venables, Clemson reshaped Venables' career. Right, mm-hmm. because he had a not so great year at Oklahoma when Dabo hired him, and then just kind of reshaped himself, and now he's going back to Oklahoma to be the head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, Dabo has made some changes before, you know. Um, he fired Billy Napier to hire Chad Morris. Like Chad Morris left for another job, he found Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott. Like, I have I have some concerns because Venables has been kind of an institution on the defensive side of the ball for so long. So like I think they need to get that higher right. But on the offensive side, like okay, if if Elliott leaves, you hire a guy for a year and he's maybe not what you thought. Just go back and hire Jeff Scott. He's gonna get fired from South Florida. Yep. And that's just go back and get Jeff Scott. Have him be your offense coordinator again. Like. I think Clemson will find their assistance and they recruit really, really well. They have a five-star quarterback coming in next year, Kate Klubnick, who's, you know, played at Westlake in Texas, you know, and uh, should be a little bit better fit from what the film has shown than, than DJU. So I think there's going to be pretty, a pretty open quarterback competition in the spring. Right. Like I think Clemson will be fine. And, and does it open the door? Yes. If they don't get the higher right. I do. I do agree with that, but. I guess we, we get spoiled because we see a program like Nick Saban's Alabama that just re- replaces coordinators and everything's hunky-dory, right? They mm-hmm. just replace guys and it works out great. And we haven't seen that consistently with Clemson, but we have seen it. You know, We haven't seen it consistently with Clemson because their coordinators aren't getting hired every single year. Right. Right. But we have seen it before. Like Dabo is very good at hiring and firing coaches. Like let's give, let's give him credit with that at least. Like, you know, gives up 70 in the bowl game, hires Brent Venables, 10-year, really successful 10-year run. You know, gives up on Napier, hires uh, Chad Morris, really successful run before he leaves for SMU, yes? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, he was the head coach at SMU, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he left Clemson for SMU. I think that was the – I know he coached at SMU, but I couldn't remember if that was the move that triggered it. But anyway – he leaves, then you bring in Tony Elliott and, and Jeff Scott, and they've had a lot of success. I just, I think Dabo, Dabo generally gets the hires right. It's just going to be really important on defense because it's the first time we've seen it in a decade. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we'll we'll see. that, And that's the thing is that, I mean, yeah, when was it? 2015 or something that he had to replace Chad Morris? You know, so it's yep. it's been a while, and it's – yeah as we've seen with any sort of coaching hires, like there's no such thing as a sure thing. We don't right. know that Man- Mario Cristobal is going to work out at Miami. We don't know, right. you know, any of this stuff, you know, so can, right. can Dabo hit, hit the good hire again? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, there's good candidates yeah. out there and Clemson at this point seems to have the money that they need to, to go get who he wants, but yeah. we'll see. Yeah. I will not be, I will not be getting off the uh, Clemson train. I'm I'm not either, but I will just say that if there is a time that you're going to start to see this regime crumble a little bit, I think it could be this one. Again, could be with the with the level of consistency that there's been, basically from top to bottom of that program since this run started back in the early 2010s. 
this this new lack of consistency, this, you know, there's again, it's the athletic director leaving, it's his main, you know, the, the best coordinator in college football. It's it's a lot of this that is changing all at once that I think that could be the thing that that kind of causes the regime to crumble a little bit. So I'm not I'm not saying, I'm I'm just saying. Hey, we'll see. We'll see. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else? I think we're good. There, there have been bowl games uh, yeah. scheduled, and we don't have an ACC in the playoff because the conference, uh, the the top end talent. Because of bias, Mike. Because of bias, yes, they hate our conference. Yeah, hate our conference. Uh, they might actually hate. Well, I was going to say they might actually hate the Pac-12, but Oregon stepped in it. But have fun with your coach, Miami. Have fun. Um, <laughs> too easy. I always get my Miami jabs in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, bowl games have been scheduled, and there are some big ACC bowl games that we will get into later this week. Yep. So stay tuned for that. There was just a lot going on from a coaching hire standpoint that we need to hit on on this podcast. Yeah, there was a lot there. There will be some more later this week, I think. And like we said, we'll come back and kind of briefly hit on some of the bowl matchups. Uh, we've also got all conference teams. We might even do a little bit of a uh, basketball conference predictions in review. Uh, that we we can kind of recap so we're going to record later this week and kind of keep it coming here a little bit before we even get into the full proper bowl previews which will be coming uh, later this month so keep it tuned here we've got a lot more to talk about as we get into the bowl season and then the off season Mike so should be fun but let's work on getting out of here for now uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SOS. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns. The longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. And thanks to those who have lately. We've had a good stream of emails coming in. So we're getting to the time of year where it's uh, even easier to answer some questions. So if you got them, send them in. We'd love to talk about them. Oh, yeah. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you can go, go find podcasts, you can find this. Uh, hit that follow button or the subscribe button. We appreciate it. Do it on your phone. Do it on your uh, work phone. Do it on your wife's phone, your kid's phone. We, we appreciate all that help that we can get. Yes. No uh, doubt about it. Mike, where else can they find us in the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Check us out on Instagram. Dormant for now, but not dormant soon. We're working on some things. We are there. We're there. Go find us. Go follow us. Uh, Mike, anything else? Uh, No, I I think that's it. We'll be back later this week talking about bowl games. Looking forward to it. We'll talk then. Yep. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.